I believe that writing is a wonderful and terrible thing all at once. Spilling your soul and picking apart the oddities never ceases to bore. And neither does the anxiety around whether the end result is good enough. I endlessly doubt whether my stories are worth reading and how they will be judged. But I've come to learn through the years that the critics in your head falter when faced with the beaming pride and trust placed within yourself. Fatima Iqbal, in the short story anthology, New Voices of the Potomac. Welcome to Delmarva today. I'm your host, Harold Wilson. New Voices of the Potomac is a collection of stories written by five students at Winston Churchill High School in Potomac, Maryland. All of the authors are female and were either juniors or seniors at the time their work were, was published. And all were participants in a writing group led by Neil Gillen, the editor of the anthology. As I read through the collection, I was curious about what was on the minds of these young women during this year of the pandemic. What I found was surprising. In their writing, these young women displayed a mature openness to exploring very human emotions, like the pain of separation, death, the aspect of physical aggression, fear, and the power of fate. As an aside, there is also a very beautiful alternate ending to Sleeping Beauty that is moving on many different levels in one of the stories. My guests this morning are the editor of New Voices of the Potomac, Neil Gillen. And joining us also is author Fatima Iqbal. Fatima is going to read her story, Under the Chelsea Lights, and discuss her writing with us. But Neil, let me begin with you. How did you come to mentor these young authors and publish their work in New Voices of the Potomac? Well, let me begin by thanking you for having us on today, Hal. As becoming the mentor uh, in 2016 as a member of the Maryland Writers Association, a longtime resident of Potomac, I was asked to lead the Potomac Club, which meets bi-monthly at the Potomac Library. The Teen Writers Program is a statewide effort co-sponsored by the Maryland Writers Association and the library systems in the various counties. Dr. Heather Davis of the Salisbury School will soon establish a teen writers club in the Salisbury area. The program has been in existence for eight years. The Potomac Club had been operating for a year when Rose Gebkin, the club leader, took a position in the Midwest. She gifted me with a group of about eight young writers. And over time, about 75 young women and men filtered through the club. 
we averaged about eight to 10 teens at each meeting. And this past year, things were different as they were with every other life activity. At the start of the pandemic, we had six active members, one a middle school student who attended sporadically and solely listening and learning for the other five writers featured in the anthology. Now about publishing this anthology. Three of the club members have been with me for a total of 10 years. Fatima uh, for five years, going back to my first year when she was in middle school. These writers had progressed in their writing to the point that last year, four of them had seven stories published in the Maryland Writers Association anthology. This year, two new writers joined us, each of them productive, and I might add, recruited by Fatima. Prior to the pandemic, we met every other week at the Potomac Library. The pandemic changed that when the library closed. Almost immediately, the Maryland Writers Association made its Zoom account and its tech chair, Angela Dale, available. Angela set up our meetings and we met continually, including during the summer. While we did writing exercises and readings in our in-person meetings, in which the girls wrote stories that were part of the, the exercises, they were limited in their length given the meeting time constraints. When we went to Zoom meetings, the interaction was totally different, as well as awkward at first. Almost immediately, we came to the conclusion that rather than do writing exercises during the Zoom meeting, it would be more useful to discuss and consider writing prompts, develop stories from these prompts, write them between the meetings, and read and critique them at the next meeting. Now, that decision literally turned on a faucet from which poured many cogent and well-constructed stories replete with tension and interesting twists, characters, and, and, and plots. And at the end of each meeting, the club members would discuss and agree on a prompt for the next meeting. In between meetings, they also revised their previous stories in response to the critiques and submitted them to me for further developmental and time edit. By mid-fall, in my view, the members had 35 stories that were worthy for inclusion in an anthology. Neil, I, I mentioned in my introduction that I found these stories explored a number of dark themes. As you worked with, uh, with these young people, what surprised you about the stories that they developed and the themes that they engaged with their writing? Well, first off, what impressed me and surprised me the most was their consummate abilities. Uh, their creativity is off the charts in regard to stormy story formulation, whatever the genre. Their prose is well advanced for their ages. They take you right into the stories. You're right there with the characters. And I try to stress that with them, to develop realistic characters and a setting that makes the reader feel that he or she is part of the story. And what I also learned that this generation of women are so sensitive and responsible. The voices of their antagonists 
and the plots of their stories based on the story prompts reflected that sensitivity and their, their diverse views. He wrote of loss, separation, death, human frailties, and sexuality. They did so with passion and conviction in exceptional prose. And they were not afraid to voice their opinions. They openly shared their emotions. They shared their vulnerability. And they shared their ideals of their worldview. And in doing so, they were totally transparent. They shared themselves, Hal, their personas. So it, it was just full of surprises. I found the same, uh, Neil. Is there a story as as, um, as you worked uh, toward the uh, the inclusion of um, of pieces in the uh, anthology? Is I know we're going to hear um, uh, Fatima's story in just uh, in just a minute, but um, I, I wondered if there was a story that touched you. On a, on a personal level that, that you'd like to mention? Well, Hal, there were actually three stories. Uh, Fatina Iqbal's story, Florida in the rear view, because it brought to back to me my frustrations as a 17-year-old in an aimless job right out of high school. And Fatima's story, the young woman was stuck in a dreary, small, dreary Florida town uh, seeking a life change. And they took off with a rock group. In my case, I joined the Navy and it changed my life. The second story that touched me, Hal, was Jillian Wesson's story, uh, Friendship, uh, uh, because it reflects the feeling of uh, abandonment that we experience when we believe friends have, have deserted us. Uh, and then Ela Jahil's story, Separation, it's something we discussed quite a bit at a club meeting uh, and how we all experience it in life. Uh, when we change school, we change grades. When we graduate, we change jobs. When we marry, when we move to another city or we're separated from the military. In each instance, we, we lose contact with people, with family, with friends. And as Ela's story demonstrates, sometimes the loss of friendship through separation can be painful or traumatic. Well, I, I found, uh, I found uh, those stories uh, also um, very powerful, particularly friendship. When I read the lines that this young girl discovered that she could not own a friend, that this person was a person in her own right, and, and she, could not, she could not own her even as a friend. I thought that was quite, I thought that was quite powerful. Let me and, turn now, let me- And, turn. Hal, and Hal, I'm, Hal, I might add that that is something that these teens experience when they move from middle school to high school and their friends from middle school are in different classes and different clubs and activities and they make new friends and there are jealousies there. It's, it's a natural thing, but it's, 
it's quite common. And that's what that story reflects. You, you can't own a friend. You know? No, that 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 was a very powerful reveal um, in the in the story. But but let me turn now to um, Fatima. Fatima, uh, thank you very much for joining us on uh, Delmarva today. Uh, I I have to confess, I I found your story. Under Chelsea Lights, uh, incredibly moving. And the ending, frankly, displays an, an excellent, wonderful level of self-awareness and, and maturity. And uh, I would really appreciate it if you would read the story for us. Of course, and thank you so much again for this. It's been an honor being so. Under the Chelsea Lights The memory wavers in and out of reality, treading in the black ocean of my consciousness, as I feel fibers of the moment start to dissolve. I'm forced to allow my head to sing that relentless tune. My shrink says to focus on the music, the song that glided in the air to surround me that night. Closing my eyes, I slip into the abyss, into an endless replay of the night that derailed my senses, that pulled me into years of devoted delusion. I remember every aspect of that night, Hints of mischief intertwined with the February chill that nipped at my body as I entered the nightclub. The Chelsea's electric-soaked air already blurred my mind, giving me a buzz in every step. People packed like sardines. No one was allowed to stand out, yet everyone did. It was a thing I most... It was impossible to dance without parts of you being grazed or grabbed. It was a thing I liked and hated about this place. While the ambient music blared from all angles and smoke hung heavily over your head, the people in their feverish state welcomed you to their bodies as much as you would yours. Making my way around the perimeter, I reached the bar a slab of white marble stained with years of other people's heartache, wine spills and lipstick kisses. Ordering to the bartender, I turned to examine the dance floor, every night bringing the same scene of people seeking asylum within these walls, within each other. Every couple of hours, usually as it tiptoed towards midnight, Purple and orange confetti would drop down from above, ushering whoops and yells from the crowd. I would find traces of the Chelsea days later in the shower, strips nestled in my hair and stuck to my ankles. When my drink arrived, I immediately downed it, ignoring how the fizz kicks and stings on its way down. Stay too sober here, and you start to see the club and its people for who they are. You start to see yourself who you are. Lonely. I order two more, chewing on the black straw and staring intently at the melting ice in my glass. It's funny. Even before I had laid eyes upon you, 
I felt I was going to. Excitement, mixed with caution, bubbled within my chest. The strobe lights turning more aggressive than how I remember them to be. I stepped out of my body for a second, seeing myself in the lens of everyone else. A disheveled-looking woman sitting alone at the bar, bits of dried-up mascara resting on the glittery dress clinging tightly to her body. All of a sudden, I felt the need to fix myself, like the Chelsea dragged me up from my seat and badgered about my state. But before I could make my way to the bathroom, before I had a chance to make an impression, that's when you decided to catch me. Off guard. Unprepared. It's funny. In the movies, they show a pretty girl in her own bubble of sunshine. Her own spotlight. But that's not how it went. You always had to do things different. Your own tailored way. It was the way you were surrounded by people. People chatting amongst themselves and getting ready to order drinks. It's the way you stood out from them. Like a posed mannequin among models, I had spotted the one that didn't quite fit in with their crowd. It was the way you made these people seem like your props. Those beautiful people stood with faces out of a magazine. Yet you... You were the only one who I was drawn to. I remember being paralyzed, like an eel had come up from behind, wrapped itself around my spine. My entire chest flared up as I witnessed you for the first time. I used to think that clubs made people look better. The low-colored lighting that played tricks on your eyes, their features beginning to swirl if you focus too much. Music that deafened your apprehension. But you, you made the club look better. There was a soft glow around you. And in that halo, the colors were richer, the air more delicate. The sharpness of how you were dressed was somehow exempt from the particles of dust floating around everywhere, like they knew not to tarnish you. How you radiated such warmth, yet such coldness at the same time, I couldn't tell. You hadn't noticed me, dumbly staring at you, stopped in my tracks. But my world had halted right then and there, like the universe had introduced me to an inevitable fate. I used to tell my shrink that, in that moment, you tied a blindfold onto me, shrouding my vision of all red flags, and that's when I fell for you. But as I retell the story, the years of wedding china thrown at the wall, divorce papers, and the desperate voicemails that followed, I realize now that it wasn't you or the universe that blinded me. It was myself. You had already shown me all I had to know. Through your fake smiles, that hungry glint in your eye, you had laid all your cards out in front of me. In truth, the blindfold lay limp in my hands that night. And taking one last look at you, waiting for someone to dance in my storm, I raised it to my eyes, 
and tied it on. Fantastic, Fatima. Tell me about this story. Well, for me, the way I intended, the story centered around contemplation. Our nameless characters reminiscing on what was and what could have been and how all those little choices can domino into the unraveling of a person. Uh, you wouldn't be lying if you said that this piece, the whole setting and experience of it all is beyond my age. I've yet to even attempt to step foot in a club without my parents being called. But I think that teenage girls and their minds, their fantasies, they can delve into these romanticized scenarios and go through the motions and feel the pain all without leaving their bedroom. And I wanted to tie that kind of going through the motions and just thinking about what was into the story. You're at the Chelsea, you're seeing a hypnotizingly electric stranger, and you can already see where it's going to end up and how she's going to come into your life and turn it upside down. And it all comes down to you and your choices. Do you do what's best for yourself and stray away or do you invite her in? Well, that was my sense. I found that that the tying on of the um, the kerchief around the eyes was a, was an incredibly powerful ending because because what it said to me that the story is really uh, is really for me about choice. And the fact that uh, this young woman already knows where this is going. She already knows the, the unreality of this situation, the falsehood, uh, in a sense of what is happening. But she chooses it. Mm-hmm. Why, why does she... And, in the sense that she knows she's got the premonition. And in fact, there are, you mentioned in the story, there are decisions, yeah. difficult decisions and choices that follow. Very difficult ones. But um, why does she, why does this young woman in your story make this, make this choice in the light of what she knows? Why does she blind herself? Well, self-destructiveness and chaos, they're like like a euphoric tornado. I bet you've never heard of that one before, but uh, it's true. When you're experiencing them, it, it sweeps you off the ground and you get a rush. You get excited about what you've gotten yourself into and what might become of you. It's kind of the heightened drug that many people kind of chase after that feeling. But by the end of it, you're always going to crash. And it's the choices that we make of whether or not we want to pursue that storm that can completely change our life. What's being dealt with in the story is that the Chelsea has brought your way a beautifully sinister woman in all of her glory. And you know you're going to come out of it pretty bruised and scratched up. And all of the red flags are there. She's laid out her cards. But it's fun to ignore them. It's fun to kind of explore those deep waters, even when you know you're kind of going to end up drowned. 
there's a kind of uh, acceptance in the story that that you that you mention and that you mentioned just now because you already know but you accept that say a little bit more about that kind of acceptance how did you come uh, as an as a writer to understand that kind of acceptance in yourself, in your friends, uh, even in your parents. How, mm-hmm. how did you come to discover that the, the power of that kind of acceptance? I think that we romanticize, or at least for me as a teenage girl, we romanticize all sorts of situations and what what we've seen on movies and in TV shows, these star-crossed lovers that have an inevitable fate of just destruction. You look at Romeo and Juliet or just however, any other TV couples that have just ended in flames, you kind of crave that feeling of just tragic melancholy. You 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 crave that feeling of the one that got away or how you changed at the end of this storm. And so that acceptance I feel doesn't even come in the form of only in this case, a woman, but it could come in the form of friendships in which you understand that this person is kind of sucking your soul out, but it's fun to, it's fun in the moment to just understand what could become of you and how you could change as a person um, I think that we as humans are always craving growth and how we change and how the people around us can make us change. And it's when we accept these toxic people into our lives because we want to see, well, how is this going to change me? And we accept that fate. And that's what's being played out in the story. This character's kind of sealing her fate as being destroyed. There's, um, you, you, as you just mentioned, there's a real sense of curiosity in this choice. A- am I right by, uh, by understanding that, that, um, that the choice is sort of, I know this can end badly. I know it probably will end badly because I can already see the falsehood um, of it. But I'm going to decide anyway because I'm curious to see what is going to happen. Anywhere close to that, Fatima? Absolutely. You've hit it on the nose. exploring those deep waters and putting ourselves in that situation just for the excitement of it all, just to see, well, where, where is this going to take me? Well, it's a, uh, it, I think it's a wonderful story. And I think it's, a, it, the, the, the ending with um, uh, the young woman putting the, the image of her putting the bandana over her own eyes 
is just is just incredibly powerful and incredibly um, revealing. And we could talk about it uh, forever, I think, as a, as a as a human predicament and as a human response to um, to life and, and what life. Uh, brings to us. But let me go back uh, to you, Neil, and ask how uh, can uh, our listeners get this, uh, this excellent anthology? Where, where do they go for this book? Well, they can go to two places. They can go to Amazon uh, and uh, or they can go to my website, which is N-E-A-L-P G-I-L-L-E-N-Books.com. It's only $5, and all the profits go to Friends of the Potomac Library. Uh, $5 breaks down to $0.14 for each of the 35 stories, and it's a a tremendous bargain uh, when you have a chance to read the talent of uh, these young women. Well, Neil, it's a... a, um... It's a wonderful book, and um, I want to congratulate you on its production and development, and I want to uh, congratulate you, Fatima, on uh, this story and on the other stories you have uh, in, the, in the book. Thank you very much, and um, thanks to all of you for joining me today. This is Delmarva Today. I'm your host, Harold Wilson.